Well, welcome and happy new year from all of us here at the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and obviously today's January 2nd, so I mean, officially we would have been wishing you happy uh, new year yesterday, but all we do is rebroadcast stuff over the weekend. So our first new show of 2023, and man, did you ever think that we would, first of all, be here, second, uh, be facing a world that looks the way it does, and third, I mean, here we are, we are about to enter the first year almost officially where we are pandemic free. Uh, the president of the United States so much as acknowledged that the pandemic had moved into endemic mode back in August and September. And then here in the People's Republic of California, Gavin Newsom, our esteemed governor, uh, went ahead and declared that he decided that the state of emergency currently gripping the People's Republic uh, would still be in effect all the way through the end of February of this year. And it was kind of arbitrary, too. He made that decision after President Biden announced that there would be an end of the state of emergency. But then the elections happened and then they got what they wanted with the midterms. Only 23 seats changed hands instead of the 45 to 50 that we were anticipating. The Senate stays in control of the of the Democrats. And so then President Biden announced that now the federal state of emergency is in place till April of 2023, in spite of the fact that the federal mandate on vaccines this has been struck down by a federal court. So, I mean, go figure. Some strange times that we're in. But God bless you and your family uh, from all of us here at the Bottom Line Show. I'll start. I want to thank some people before we get started here because the crush of the rush at the end of uh, last year. I want to thank everyone who makes this program possible each and every day. Joel Dominguez runs the board uh, four days out of five every week and has been an erstwhile member of the Bottom Line Show for seven or eight years now. Uh, Teresa Kim's our director of marketing. And Crystal, I don't want to mutilate your last name. She has a wonderful last name. It's hyphenated. But Teresa and Crystal handle the marketing. And, of course, Crystal's the one who answers the phones when you call at working the front desk. Um, and then also, let's see. Well, Todd Stickler would be remiss if I did not mention Todd. Todd's the operations manager at KBRT. He um, also handles uh, the stuff for KNSN at San Diego. And he does everything. If there's no Todd, the station doesn't stay on the air. So, And Todd has been with the Bottom Line Show since day one. It's been Todd and me against the world. And, of course, our producer, Tamara Comito, uh, who produces us remotely now, as she is a, uh, a mom to two young kids, and so she handles uh, the work outside the studio but still uh, gives us a full effort each and every day. And also then to Jim Wells, who holds down the fort as our ops manager at KCBC. Jim Wells, our operations manager, who holds down the fort at KCBC in Central Valley. And also uh, to Terrence Cross, who's a guy who has been handling the board work uh, in our Denver affiliate KLDC uh, low these many years. Well, let's see, I think it's, we're coming up on six years now of working together. So, Terry, thank you for the work that you do. And to Shay and to Matt and to... Uh, to Charlene and everybody who holds the fort down for us on our KLTT release, uh, which is a separate uh, program for the Bottom Line Show. I mean, it, it kind of follows what we do here Monday through Friday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 4 to 5.30 Mountain. Uh, but KLTT gets their own uh, special release. If you are listening to us on KLDC and you want to hear the program earlier, you flip over to AM 670 KLTT and the Bottom Line Show half-hour edition 
airs every Monday through Friday from 2.30 to 3. We're right after Angie Austin's on at 2. And then don't forget that Steve Gregg, Neuropath, on at 4. And then yours truly back again for Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk at 4.30 on KLTT. So I uh, just want to thank everybody who's involved. Of course, Don Crawford, Jr. and Sr., uh, who make this program possible. Of course, Don Crawford, Sr., the guy who uh, gave this a shot all those many years ago. And very grateful to have that opportunity. And his son, Don Jr., keeps things moving nicely along with Mike Trium our manager in our Denver cluster, and everybody else who's ever had a part in this program, uh, but most importantly you as a bottom-line listener for uh, responding and keeping us on the air. Hey, I want to kick off uh, the first hour of the new year with a word of encouragement. Um, this is something, you know, we just did a huge campaign for the past three months with our friends at Preborn, helped save hundreds of babies' lives, and literally were able to place four ultrasound machines in pregnancy health centers all across the country. We are so grateful for that partnership and pray that it will continue on through 2023. Uh, but I, I wanted to share this story with you about a flight attendant who works for an airline, or I should say worked for an airline, that um, uh, the, the, the worked for an airline that I used to fly on a regular basis and still on occasion do, but they really kind of whiffed when it came to the sanctity of human life, and I'm not really happy that it wound up winding up in federal court. Um, the National Right to Work Legal Foundation announced that the U.S. Court District Court for Northern Texas decided that Charlene Carter, a flight attendant who was fired for her pro-life stance in 2017, should in fact be hired. Uh, basically, this is a woman who is a professing Christian, was part of the union, Transportation Workers Union of America, um, as a flight attendant, and um, it basically discovered, like a lot of people do, a lot of Christians, a lot of pro-lifers find, that their values are not represented by their union. And in this case, what she found out was that they um, used some of the Transportation Workers Union of America dues to make a donation to an organization that was sponsoring a uh, march in Washington, D.C. in January 2017, but it wasn't the March for Life. It was the march that was uh, January 17th sponsored by Planned Parenthood. In other words, it was that women's march. Remember the pink hat thing and all that stuff with the feminists? The women who decided that since Donald Trump was taking office and they had decided that he was a sexist and a racist and just an overall PIG, that they had to stand up. And so that's when everybody put on those hats that looked like a part of the woman's body that were colored pink. Remember that? day and luminaries like madonna got up and said we should bomb the white house because of who's there remember all those things see here's the the, the thing <laughs> the thing about this whole pluralism in the culture that doesn't always line up over the holiday season the christmas holiday season and i say holidays because i realize there's there's uh there are people who celebrate obviously thanksgiving christmas uh hanukkah uh, we, I'm sure we have some listeners who celebrate Kwanzaa, though it's not a terribly popular holiday in the U.S., and I, it really has had a hard time getting traction. And then, of course, New Year's. So, I mean, if you want to say the holidays, I like Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. The majority of Americans celebrate Christmas, and that's the big holiday. But there was a quote-unquote holiday special, I think, on HGTV or something like that. And it aired right around the 1st of December. And it featured, um, you know, the Property Brothers uh, Jonathan and Drew Scott, they're twin brothers who have turned their kind of aw shucks Midwestern type of charm into a multi-million dollar uh, business operation 
buying houses, renovating them, and then flipping them, as they say in the industry. If you look at the Scott brothers online, you'll find out that each of them is worth well over $100 million. So don't let that kind of off-shuck stuff fool you. They're very good businessmen. One of the brothers, Jonathan Scott, and his, I guess, fiance, uh, the actress, the, she was a new girl. I don't, one of the Dachanel, was it Zoe? Anyway, they were touring the White House, looking at the hundreds of volunteers that were getting the White House all set up. Of course, this was obviously done well in advance. And then the First Lady, Jill Biden, was there too. And they're walking through the White House showing all the decor. And between you and me, quite frankly, kind of garish. I mean, I understand there's a lot of history there. And if I weren't going through this whole cynical thing right now about what history we teach and what history we don't, I would probably appreciate it a heck of a lot more. But the thing that I... I I was really taken with was the fact that they spent so much time talking about unity and friendship and and the things that bring us together. And I thought to myself, ma'am, your husband is one of the most divisive presidents in the history of America. And yet you're telling us, say, well, you know, it's these traditions that just bring us together. I mean, you but you could tell half of the country that and they'll believe it. You know, I mean, I, I would much rather hear from someone who says yeah i know we don't always get along but let's find a couple of pieces of common ground to stand on can't we i mean that that would work out so much better but it's interesting to me how progressives especially have no trouble when say the bidens are in the the white house saying yeah he's bringing us together and then donald trump's in the white house they're like we're gonna bomb that place let's just blow it up right so planned parenthood actually paid for uh, a presence at this women's march in january of 2017 and that apparently set right with their the bulk of their crowd. But it did not set right with Charlene Carter. And so she filed a grievance with the Transportation Workers of America Association and said, I don't want my union dues going to this. She posted a series of social media posts where she said, I'm objecting to the union dues uh, that we send to union officials for the march. She sent an email to Union President Audrey Stone saying that she supported a national right-to-work bill. Um, later that year, she was called into the main office by the big shots there and was asked to explain what was going on. They wanted to discuss, to discuss the Facebook posts. Southwest Airlines said in written signed statements that those pro-life posts were actually harassment against the company and they wound up firing Charlene Carter. Now, this is a woman who had been a member in the union for 21 years. But she did resign her membership a couple of years prior to that because of her Christian beliefs. In spite of that, she was still an active dues-paying member. Basically, the Railway Labor Act says if you are going to be working for a company that gets union benefits, even if you're not in the union, you still have to pay dues. So National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation President Mark Mix said, hey, Southwest Airlines and the Transportation Workers Union made Ms. Carter pay an unconscionable price because she decided to speak out against the political activities of union officials in accordance with her deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs. I mean, basically, she had to pay union dues for four years, even though she wasn't getting full union benefit. And then when she complained about the fact that those dues were being used to sponsor the Women's March, she was fired. So she went to court, and last year, uh, this I should say this past summer, so technically last year, uh, Ms. Carter was awarded $5.1 million in damages after a court found that the airline and that chapter of the Transportation Workers Union of America had unlawfully terminated her. Basically, 
the objection was not that the Transportation Workers Union was complaining about Planned Parenthood being at the march, et cetera, et cetera. She complained that why are my union dues going to pay the freight for union officials who are going to actually be part of the march? Um, and well, I guess so. Technically, the march is sponsored by Planned Parenthood, so yeah, that does make sense. But now, not only has she been awarded the $5.1 million, but a federal court has ordered that Southwest Airlines must give her back her job. She must be rehired. It's interesting because the National Right to Life Work Legal Foundation said, bags fly free with Southwest, but free free speech didn't fly at all until now. Congratulations, Charlene Carter, for speaking your faith, sticking to your conscience, and I'll be honest with you, not being a jerk about it. I mean, quite frankly, there this would be a lot of time to you know slam dunk and dunk on the opponent opposition, and the fact that she's handling this victory so graciously, I think, is important. As we continue, I want to revisit a conversation I had with George Barnard right after the midterm election. George and I have been talking extensively about the number of Americans in our culture right now who, even though they have differing political viewpoints, actually have a lot more common ground than they think. And when you hear the statistics of what his new research has to indicate, well, we're going to start the New Year off on a right foot. George Barna joining me next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. We're looking at the midterm elections and trying to figure out what happened in the world with regard to what we thought was going to be a quote unquote red wave and how different are America's values on different political sides of the aisle than we thought. Uh, Dr. George Barna is the founder of the uh, Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He's he's the director and co-founder of the ACU Cultural Research Center. He's been working on this American values study for quite some time. And he recently published a report that offers a different take on the midterm election. And so we're going to get into that right now. Dr. George Barna, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Roger, always good to be with you. You know, this is kind of, I mean, I, the only thing I can think of is, you know, David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar and Van Halen, they're both kind of different bands, but they're the same band. And fans kind of have their own opinions about it because the one constant, of course, was Michael Anthony playing bass. Is that a fair assessment of where we are in American politics right now? Maybe maybe too broad a stroke? Is it too soon to go there? 
Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say Michael was the only constant. You did have the Van Halen brothers. Uh, uh, well, then, yeah. The, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. And then, and then, of course, let's not forget David Lee Roth's solo work with that guy Billy Sheehan playing bass. Right? Woo! Now that guy done. can play. That guy yeah. can, yeah. And I know he's a favorite of yours, so we'll have to have a, a separate sub channel. And us. they found a, a guitar guy to fill in for Eddie, a guy named Steve Vai. So that worked pretty well too. <laughs> Steve yeah. Vai doesn't, he, he's, he's not lacking in the chops department. That's for sure. I mean, it, it, he's in there anyway. I don't, I don't know how anybody who can keep up with Frank Zappa, you know, that's, that's, that's points in my favor. Um, let's take a look at the midterms though, because you have been saying this for the past two years, you have statistical proof to back it up. Americans really aren't as far apart as we think we are. And yet, Let's take a look at what happened in the midterm. First and foremost, I mean, the, the number of people who voted, you know, high numbers, tons of money spent. And basically, why do so many people feel kind of frustrated and even what we'd say underwhelmed with the result? Well, you know, the election came along and there was a lot of hope that was attached to it. But the reality is when people looked at the candidates, first of all, we don't like change. And so if we're going to shift from incumbents, there's got to be a good reason to do so. Normally, more than 80% of incumbents get returned to office. Mm -hmm. And so that's the case, even when we're not happy with the way things are going. And you look at what happened here. People basically weren't given a good enough reason to shift horses. So what were the big issues? I mean, as we talked about in an earlier program, it was essentially economic issues, you know, whether it was jobs or inflation or uh, food shortages and prices, gas prices, all those things, throwing crime, which is essentially an economic issue. And so those were the top rated issues. But when you looked at what Republicans were saying, essentially their message was, we're going to do better. But yeah. they gave very little understanding of how they were going to do better or the underlying premise of why their approach would be different and better. And so voters really went into the election not trusting politicians anyway. They didn't hear compelling messages. There was no sense of a compelling vision for the future given by candidates from either party. In a few states around the country, you had a few candidates who really were vision-driven, but they were certainly the exception to the rule so people had no compelling reasons to switch horses in midstream. You know, before the election, if you remember, I said, yeah, probably Republicans are going to wind up with around 225 members in the House. Mm -hmm. And the Senate's probably going to stay maybe even I, I, I would give GOP the chance to get one seat more than the Republicans. So, I mean, really what we kind of expected is what kind of happened and the, the real outcome for the people is nobody's happy. But if you want to be happy, then we've got to make some radical changes. Dr. George Barna is with me today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about a different uh, mindset, if you will, a different uh, uh, look at the midterm elections. This is part of the work that he's done at the uh, Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center. It's the American Value Study. And the most recent uh, edition of that is up at thebottomlineshow.com. What I'm hearing you saying, George Barna, and you have been predicting this not only for the past couple of months, but for the past couple of years, is the fact that a majority of people in the United States really do believe in democracy. At the same time, the majority of people believe that the major parties and their political leaders and showpiece people are really out of touch with where people are. So when it came time for messaging, 
which is uh, we both know is, is huge in a political cycle. You had Republicans who are basically saying, well, traditionally, when the president has a bad approval rating and there's inflation, this, that and the other thing, we typically pick up seats. So therefore, there's going to be a red wave. Whereas the Democrats, I mean, though their message was equally flimsy, I think they did a better job of presenting it, saying, hey, look, if you think that uh, democracy is good and the Supreme Court takes take away your democracy and uh, these right wing extremists taking away your democracy, the, the same people who are leaning toward socialistic, if not communistic values when it comes to how the government acts, were voting in favor of that same party saying we'll protect your democracy. Fairly yeah. accurate. Yeah, I think so. And a different way of phrasing that is that the Democrats understood their base better than the Republicans understood their base. Right. And so you've got Democrats pulling in more of their people, getting them a little bit more enthusiastic, not a whole lot, but enough in a very close election. Doesn't take a whole lot more. So their people were more enthusiastic. You had the Republican candidates who had every opportunity in the world to turn on their base because the economic situation. There are people who are wailing about the state of the economy and GOP candidates kind of made, you know, some noises about that, but they didn't give great reasons for it. And so then what does it come down to? Independence. Who's really going to speak to the independents? And Democrats, you know, frankly, did a better job than expected with independent voters because uh, they were more specific about the things that they cared about as opposed to how the Republicans handled it. So yeah, messaging made a big difference. But even there, I'll go back to this, this reality of, you know, we had a majority of Americans who felt so disconnected, they didn't even bother to vote. Hmm. We had a minority of Americans actually making the call for the rest of the country. And when you looked at those people who voted, about 110 million voters, who came out for this election, what you had was about one third of them who were essentially indifferent to both parties. And so they went in, they cast about, they figured I did my duty. And then you had the other two thirds who were essentially split between the parties. So really it did come down to splitting hairs. Who's going to bring in more independence? Who's going to get their own side more enthusiastic? But, you know, at the end of the day, both parties treated it as business as usual, and it really wasn't business as usual. But in order to get away from that, really the ball now, and this isn't something you're hearing much, but the ball is in the court of voters. They're the ones now who, if something is going to change, they're the ones who are going to change it. The politicians have no vested interest in changing the process. I mean, it's working fine for them. They're essentially getting what they want particularly if they get elected. The ones who are displeased are voters, but we can't wait on elected officials to change the process that put them into office. We're talking with Dr. George Barna today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the uh, 2022 midterm elections where we saw a record voter turnout in the 2018 midterm, the uh, 2022 midterm, just a hair under that. I mean, still not uh, on the same level as what we would see in the uh, national elections coming up in 2024, or what we saw in 2020. I'm going to take a quick break here and dig in a little deeper on the other side of this break to what this means for the church, because too often it's been fairly easy to say, well, Christians, majority of Christians are voting Republican. They might be independent. There might be a few Christians who vote Democrat, but by and large, if you look at large swaths of voting, voter block, it, it's people of faith. 
But George, what I'm hearing you say right now is that we are kind of at a, an interesting crossroads with the electric, with electric when it comes to how people are going to vote and rather to start voting our values and rather than our party affiliation might be the better way to go. Let's, let's take a look at that in closer detail on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970, or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1-4-23. Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on the program, and we're talking about a brand new study, uh, the American Value Survey that's been conducted by Arizona Christian University for the past couple of years. The 2022 edition, uh, final installment, George and I talked about that uh, late last year. And uh, we're kicking off here our New Year's Day edition, well, January 2nd, of the Bottom Line Show, revisiting that conversation and giving you a chance to hear from what George's research indicates about something that, quite frankly, I think is important, and that is the issue of common ground. Now, obviously, we are not a Christian nation. We are a nation that was founded on biblical principles. There have been many great men and women of the faith who have been a part of the American story. But anybody who would look at America right now and say it's a Christian nation is sadly mistaken. One of the things that we in the body of Christ could do is to recognize that. Our, our own hometowns now are enemy territory, spiritually, and basically mission fields. That's the not-so-great news. But here's the good news. If you look at the American Values Survey from Arizona Christian University, which we'll put up at thebottomlineshow.com, the fifth report in that study, the final one for 2022, indicates that anywhere between 70 and 80% of Americans, regardless of their political background or their religious persuasion, really want the same things. And so if you're looking for a way to strike up a conversation with the people in your world who may not agree with you spiritually or even politically, it's amazing how you can keep that door of conversation open by meeting them where they are. Think about the uh, the ministry of Jesus as he walked the earth. How many times, I mean, when Jesus met with Pharisees who should have known better, they knew the law of, of the Lord better than anybody else, he was very harsh and severe with them. But when it comes to the people that he encountered who did not yet know why they were, you know, in the sinful state or whatever, he was very compassionate to them. He was very merciful to them. And usually the first con- conflict, if you will, or, or, or confrontation with them involved him healing their illnesses and healing their diseases. And I think it's, it's important for us to not miss that point as we go into this new year thinking, how do we win more souls to the kingdom? How do we preach the gospel in a way that people will understand it? Take a look at the American Values Survey and take a look at the commonalities that we have rather than just trying to hit people over the head with the Bible. We'll take a quick break and more of my conversation with George Barna in just a moment as the bottom line continues. 
Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. During the break, we were talking about bass solos and how effective they are. And George, I would love to have a dogfight with you sometimes with our instruments and just kind of go back and forth. And I'm sure it could, it might be the most interesting minute of music in history. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, the real question is which one of us will walk out first out of boredom. So, yeah, what are you going to well, do? I know. Well, as long as we stay in the same key, I guess we'll be okay. <laughs> We're talking about the American Values Report. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, the American Values Study that has been coming out of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University uh, pretty consistently now. George, when did you found ACU's Cultural Research Center? Uh, I was back in 2019. Okay, well, you so, sure picked a sure picked a great time. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean, because we've had the 2020 election, the 2022 midterm, but there has been a major shift in terms of mindset, psychographic. I mean, the idea that there are a lot of people who are still kind of clinging to the flag and the Bible and saying we're a Christian nation, and by golly, if we could just get some good Republican candidates in there, I get the sense that what you're saying indirectly, without using that verbiage, is. This is a golden opportunity, not only for American voters, but for Christian American voters to say, hey, let's do some redefinition here. Let's do kind of a reset politically. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. And and there's no time to waste in that, Roger. We're in a situation where uh, we've lost so much ground that we've got to rethink it. The only way that things are going to get better is if we make significant changes in the system. And so the first of those is that we as the voters have to understand we own this country. We don't we don't work for the government. We're not simply here for them to enslave us. That's why we left England, you know, a quarter of a millennia ago. So really, we're in a situation where we've got to act like the owners of this constitutional republic. And so that means that, yeah, we cannot sit back and let the parties dictate to us. Well, these are the two platforms you get to choose from. These are the candidates that we've selected for you to vote on. No, 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 no. We got to take it back a couple of steps and say, all right, this is about government by the people, you know, for the people. And so we're going to run with it here. We want a different kind of leader. See, I mean, that's a, a mentality shift right there. Number one, we're owners. Number two, we want servant leaders. Yes. We don't want career politicians coming in, padding their retirement accounts, getting the overseas junkets, doing you know all the stuff with the big donors. No, we want people who recognize it's a sacrifice to serve the people. They're willing to temporarily make that sacrifice, not as a career move, but as something that they'll do to uphold this constitutional republic. And the only way that we're even going to let you run is if you can start off by giving us a compelling vision for the future of America. Yeah. Yeah. And then we want to take a deep dive into your values. And we don't want you telling us what they are. We want to see how you live them out, because that's the proof of the pudding. And we want people whose values reflect the same values that we hold, because we know that once you get into Congress, you're going to vote your values. Once you get into the White House, you're going to uh, pursue your values. So we need to really understand what those are, be comfortable with them, and we will determine who can run and who we're going to vote for on that basis. And chief among those values for us is family. So every time you start talking about policies, you better end your statements with, and here's what it's going to do for or to your family. 
because that's what really turns our crank as American voters. Yeah, I love that phrase, too. Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about the American Value Study. The most recent edition of that, the fifth one from this year, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It talks about these very things that George Barna is discussing, the idea that we do as Americans. And this is I, I love the fact that you delineate this by saying, look, this is not I talk to Christian Republicans. I talk to Christian independents. You talk to voters. I mean, period. And three out of what, 76 percent said, look, we want servant leaders. We believe that democracy is OK. We want people who are going to be running for office that give us control of our lives. I have seen so many stories recently, George Barna. And again, this is not to start up a covid war here, but to vax or not vax. You know, that was the question for a lot of people during the pandemic. And I think there were two different schools of thought. One was this is the only cure we have and we've got to stop the spread. The other was, I don't want the government telling me what to do. And my position from day one was, I don't want the government telling people what to do. If you want to get it, get it. If you don't, don't. I don't want the government telling me what to do. And I'm seeing so many people now in social media coming up and saying, man, I wish I had said that. I wish I had acted that way, because that's what we want from our our government officials. Uh, One of the things that you talk about, speaking of those officials, is Starting with 2024 on, we, the people, and in particular, we, the church, need to, uh, you call this, redefining the goal of the elections. Talk talk about why that overhaul needs to take place. Yeah, you know, this goes back to my whole area of expertise, which is measurement. And so when you look at, at what we actually measure to determine how we're doing, in politics, what we measure is dominance. We don't measure how well we're serving people, how well we're taking care of people, how well we're adhering to constitutional and or biblical principles. What we do is we look at, hey, do we have enough power? Can we get more authority? Can we have more seats? All of these kinds of issues, that's about dominance. Politics is not supposed to be about dominance. It's supposed to be about service. So that even tells me that we're measuring the wrong stuff when it comes to politics. So as we as the voters sit back and as a body of people think through, yeah, how do we, we wanna, how do we wanna reorient where this train is moving right now? We even need to rethink what it is that we're measuring and how we're gonna go about measuring that. You get what you measure. You know, I mean, we see that with churches, we see that with businesses, we see that with families, and now we're seeing it with government. And so it's vitally important for us to be thinking about, yeah, we do need to be measuring things, but let's measure ethics and let's make those kinds of measurements open to the public at all times, very accessible, easily accessible, and something that we can get a hold of whenever we want to look at somebody. Let's, let's, you know, measure these kinds of things that really matter for the health and well-being not only of the government, but of the people that that government is there to serve. We're talking with Dr. George Barnett today here on The Bottom Line, the co-founder of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, arizonachristian.edu. If you're not getting his updates every month, if you're not getting the American Value Study, I highly recommend you do. It's all available free of charge. And we've got a link up for you to get the, uh, I, get, I get these little pings every time in my mailbox. Uh, at, you've got it up at thebottomlineshow.com and rogermarsh.com. Moving forward, you know, taking some steps, taking some strides. I've seen something that I think is a well-intentioned step in the direction you're talking about, Dr. George Barna, but I think it's a huge misstep. It's conservative pundits, maybe even conservative, previously values-driven senators 
standing up for something that they believe is saying, okay, we want to meet people where they are. So like this Respect for Marriage Act that basically throws the Defense of Marriage Act out the door. And without getting it too high in the weeds, it really doesn't affirm biblical values. And I don't think it's very helpful for America. But I can see the writers, the David Frenches of the world coming out and saying, well, you know, here's why I've changed. And this is, and it seems like they're trying to find this middle ground. How can we do this most effectively? I don't think what Mitt Romney and Roy Blunt and are all doing in terms of the vote, even Joni Ernst for crying out loud and supporting this thing. I don't think they're helping, but I think they think they are. Is that accurate? Yeah. And, and, and here's that misguided approach toward trying to create unity. It's like, let's cave in to the loudest voices and give them what for more than 200 years in our country we knew was wrong. We codified it as wrong. And recently we caved in. So let's continue to cave in. That's basically the approach they're taking. Why is that? Because there are no set standards that we've agreed to. Now, what would be the best standards if we go back to our values? You know, if we do that, that's how we begin to achieve unity because of the common ground that we all have. But there still have to be some moral standards that we all agree upon and that we work on behalf of. And by the way, you mentioned earlier the church. Let me put this plug in here for the local church. This is the place where the church needs to be speaking up really loudly about the difference between right and wrong and how we know right from wrong. Our culture has gone batty over those two very basic questions, and the church has been basically silence on these issues. It's had very little to say. Obviously, there are some great churches that are speaking you know, strongly and loudly on this, but as I look across the country, what I see is a church in retreat. This is not the time to retreat. This is the time for us to fight for the things that matter to God. We don't fight just because we want to be ugly, just because we want to be number one. We fight because it's right in God's eyes, and therefore it needs to be right in our eyes. This is our time to speak up about those very issues. Churches need to be leading that fight. And what I hear you saying, Dr. George Barna, is we are fighting for what is right rather than who is right. Because that who part, I mean, we're all people. I mean, Vita Clay, politicians especially, are going to say, in essence, that was one of the, the notes I took away from your survey, was the number of people on both sides of the political aisle who are sick. They've had it up literally to here. For those watching on my own now, I'm up with my chin. Uh, literally had it up to here with telling you what you want to hear and then acting a different way once they get elected. I mean, I think we may be on the cusp of turning a new leaf in that regard, but this is where the church has to be the, the vehicle you know, for implementing this kind of change and say, look, there are values, there are morals, there are all standards. We have to get them right. And when we do, then we'll see the changes that we uh, need to see in the political realm. Uh, Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Love our monthly, sometimes bi-monthly visits where we talk about the American Value Study. We talk about uh, the work that they're doing at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. George, uh, we're going into a new year. We're, it's Christmas time right now. This is an opportunity for a lot of people who are pastoring churches or part of smaller congregations. Uh, Tom Rainer came out with statistics over the weekend that said the average large church now has 250 members. You know, which is just incredible. I mean, there's a mega church category, which is all the way down the barn, but about 8% of American churches have 250 members or more. Talk to that pastor who's getting ready for the Advent season, for the Christmas pageant, for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services, and knowing that there are going to be a lot of people who are just going to be visiting and, you know, kind of dropping in. 
or have kind of wishy-washy Christian values? How can they prepare messages that are inspiring, that are God-honoring, but also are intentional of the things you're talking about here? Yeah, this may not be the answer that, that you would expect, but I would say first and foremost, understand that if you've been called to be in that pulpit, you were not called to be popular. You were called to be truthful. Amen. And so whatever it is that you're going to be speaking about, don't do it because you want to grow beyond that 200 or 250 barrier. What you want to do is honor God in everything that you say and teach and model for people. And so be thinking about the struggles that our culture is engaged in right now. Be thinking about why Christ died on that cross, why it's important for people to embrace him as their savior, but what it's going to mean for them to be a disciple of Jesus in a culture that's torn apart the way ours is. And then think about the fact that you've been called to lead those people forward. So this is a, not a time to shrink back and compromise and to be thinking about, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be controversial because then our numbers will drop. God's not going to judge you based on the number of people in your church. He's going to judge you on the basis of the heart that you showed for preaching and teaching and modeling his truth. And so be thinking about what's the plan by which I can bring people forward in a culture where most Americans, including most Christians, do not believe there's any such thing as absolute moral truth, that the Bible does not contain truth, that God is not the embodiment of truth. Right. You need to change that mindset. And that's going to take some tough talk with people. Do it lovingly, do it compassionately, but do it firmly. With gentleness and respect, but do it. Absolutely. That's for sure. George Barna, great marching orders and a wonderful exhortation to conclude our conversation today here on The Bottom Line. ArizonaChristian.edu is where you find the link for the Cultural Research Center and the American Values Study Report. Number five is the one we've been talking about, about uh, what the midterm elections can tell us about the political landscape, and uh, this is kind of a different take than you're getting anywhere else on the midterm elections, and I highly recommend it. You can sign up to get their free newsletter as well. Dr. George Barna, always a pleasure. Uh, grace and peace to you and your family as you are traveling around, and hopefully we'll touch base with you before the end of the year, but if not, Happy New Year from all of us here at The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. Same to you and your audience. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share thoughts with you. Well, always great to have time with Dr. George Barna and grateful to have this visit with him as we concluded the 2022 review of the American Values Study from Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. You can get these reports free, by the way. Um, I love to have George on the program to discuss them with us uh, on the radio, but also on myhopenow.com where you get to see his great collection of bases in his office there at ACU, uh, but also to have this discussion about uh, finding some commonality um, in the body of Christ and also commonality with our unbelieving neighbors. How can we get a better foothold in reaching more people with the good news of the gospel? We've got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com, by the way, for that report. And if you'd like to subscribe to it, I mentioned it's absolutely free. And the 2023 editions are going to start coming in probably in early spring, right before Easter. So um, and Kurt George is, uh, and his wife Nancy have been traveling quite a bit. Uh, she has a ministry that goes to Uganda on a fairly regular basis. So they'll be getting back from that and getting back into the thick of the 2023 research. But good way to start off the year here. Hey, let's take a quick break. And as we continue along the lines of helping us in the body of Christ uh, reach the whole world, uh, taking, as Greg uh, Harris through the Bible would say, the ministry through the Bible is taking the whole word to the whole world. 
Well, how do we do that? Especially now that we're out of pandemic mode, churches are back in regular worship, full slate of services on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and now we're getting ready for, you know, Easter's coming up in April. Um, how do we reach out? Well, uh, Sam Rayner at uh, Friends at Lifeway put together a, uh, an, in- an interesting list. Uh, actually, he's the president of Church Answers dot com or dot org. He's president of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Florida. Sam's got a list of five demographics that churches often don't really know about their communities and why it's important to get to know them. We'll take a look at that list coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I'm so grateful to have had uh, time with George Barnett today here on the program. We're celebrating Charlene Carter's victory at Southwest Airlines. She's the uh, uh, the pro-life Christian flight attendant who worked for Southwest from 1996 until 2017. And when she complained that her union was spending union dollars that people like her had uh, provided, and used it for union officials to fly to Washington, D.C. for the uh, Women's March, it was sponsored by Planned Parenthood, to protest Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, she was fired and uh, wound up getting her, her job back and $5 million in damages. And it, It's a great victory in court, but the thing that I was so impressed with was the fact that though she had shared some pro-life opinions on social media, I didn't see a lot of the kind of bullying and badgering that sometimes we in the body of Christ can get involved in, too when it comes to uh, you know, protecting our witness. Toward that end, Sam Rayner, who's the president of Church Answers, and I've had his, I think I've had Sam on a time or two, and his dad, Tom Rayner, who was part of LifeWay's Christian Research for many, many years, um, has a great article that we're putting up at thebottomlineshow.com. He posted it right before Christmas, but it's a perfect thing for us to look at here at the start of 2023, because I think you know, oftentimes we don't reach people with the gospel because we just don't share the gospel effectively. First of all, we have a lot of pastors and a lot of churches that don't really know what the gospel is. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Their gospel is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, so give your heart to him, full stop. Not God loves you in spite of the fact that you're a sinner, that you live in a sinful fallen world, that you can't have relationship with him apart from Jesus Christ. And so the reason he sent his son to the world was to rescue you. And once you receive that gift and you say, yes, I want that gift, then you live in newness of life where you don't just go out and keep sinning all the time, but rather you live in that newness of life and you let God remake you from the inside out. And then you have the mandate to go into all the world and show everybody how different you are. And therefore, in doing so, you're preaching that same gospel so that others might believe. 
but why do we miss this with churches? It's like, oh, well, we had the big ultimate. There was a, a church in Texas, Prestonwood Baptist, had over a thousand people on stage at one point during their Christmas pageant. And one writer who went to it said, well, you know, um, it, it was really spectacular. They did have a good gospel presentation toward the end, but man, that's a huge production. Is that what we really need? Well, here are five often missed demographics that people in church communities, uh, if you're wondering why your church growth has been kind of stagnated or, or stagnant or isn't growing, maybe it's going the other direction. Here are five questions from church answers you can ask. The first one is, what is the marriage rate in your community compared to the national average? If the divorce rate is higher and the marriage rate is lower than average, then perhaps your ministries aren't speaking to the single parent families that aren't speaking to the older folks who went through a gray divorce than usual. I remember talking to a pastor one time who was really big on Mother's Day and Father's Day at his church, and I asked him, how many of the women in your church, there were a lot of seniors there, how many of them were ever mothers? And he had no idea. It, it turned out maybe 25% of the women at that church had ever been mothers. So Mother's Day was just a punch in the gut. Second question Sam Rayner asks pastors to ask and answer. How far do people tend to travel to work who go are in your community? A lot of people have a similar commute than they did prior to the pandemic, but they aren't driving as much. Most people are driving less than 30 minutes to work. A lot of people are working from home. What does that mean in terms of their availability and also their need? They're not getting out and about, so a midweek program may not be that interesting to them. Third question, how many people struggle with poverty and health care? Now, this is interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, there were job furloughs, layoffs, closures, and a lot of people were getting extra assistance from the federal government. But that's all basically gone away right now. So how many people are living paycheck to paycheck? How many people are living at the federal poverty level? And that's per household. So one person living at a certain level is different than three or four people in the same house. You might have a situation where mom or dad, grandma or grandpa is living with the family and their social security is helping the family make the mortgage payment every month. But do you know that? Again, these are all conditions, realities that people are going through in the culture where you are right now that might be key keeping people from coming to your church or to be involved in a fellowship or maybe even wanting to hear the gospel because they're, they're so busy listening to the grumbling in their stomach or the grinding of their teeth that they can't hear the good news of salvation. Those are three of the five questions. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, we'll look at the other two. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at five, kicking off the year here. Uh, a lot of pastors are going through looking at their church attendance from Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, looking at their year-end giving now to see where the church is, and then asking, how can we grow the church? Maybe the better question to ask instead of how can we grow the church is, are we committed to the Great Commission, which is going into all the world and making disciples? I mean, you can grow your church by borrowing them or stealing them from other congregations. That doesn't mean you're fulfilling the Great Commission. Sam Rayner at Church Answers asked these five questions. First, what is the marriage rate in your community compared to the national average? If the marriage rate is lower and the divorce rate is higher, your ministries may not be reaching your community. Secondly, how far do people tend to travel to work? After the pandemic, most people are driving less, and a lot of people are driving less than 30 minutes to work. But how does that impact whether or not they would want to come out to come to anything you're doing at your church? Third, how many people struggle with poverty and, poverty and health care? 
How many people, this is the fourth question, how many people are unemployed? Or maybe their financial situation is different because they were recently widowed or have a disability. And then finally, what are the rates of religious giving in your community? Do you know how much people are likely to tithe? Now, this is not a strategic, oh, well, I got to find out who the big givers are and get them to come to my church. Quite the opposite. Some areas of the country are extremely generous and other parts of the country aren't. And if you're trying, that has nothing to do with how much people make, has everything to do with their attitude. I know, having done the Bottom Line show here for the past dozen years, that there are a lot of parts of California, Colorado, uh, Texas, Dallas area in particular, um, even into Wyoming and Oregon, who have listened and contributed to campaigns that we've run over the years for a variety of different causes. And you would be surprised if you looked at the zip codes of where the biggest givers live. Now, we pay attention to that, not to specifically target them, but just to, wow, isn't that curious? If you're a pastor and you don't know how generous your community is, then don't get upset when the ungenerous community doesn't respond. Don't get upset when if there's a high percentage of people who are now recently widowed or on disability or something like that and don't have the physical means to get up and get out. I mean, know the community, know your family and and understand to whom you are ministering to. And if you are part of a denominational church that has a long, rich history of always doing it a certain way, may I encourage you to stay anchored on the traditions that are godly and biblical that hold you fast during tough and challenging times, but not to rely on the, well, what we need is we just need to get somebody else who understands this part of who we are. The early church thrived in homes The early church had lots of people who wound up in prison for their faith, who preached in the public square, who did not have buildings of their own. Let's not get so wrapped up in the culture that we miss the Great Commission for all eternity. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next, and Happy New Year to you. For those who remain, a new country artist uh, has uh, emerged on the scene as someone who is dealing with his faith in a very unusual way, especially with the uh, crisis of fentanyl addiction and overdosing uh, showing up next. We're going to talk about Dylan Jarvis and his musical ministry coming your way next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, or welcome to The Bottom Line Show. I know a lot of people tune in for the final half hour each and every weekday, and today is New Year's Day. And, well, New Year's Day as far as the holiday goes. Yesterday, of course, we turned the calendar of another year. Welcome to the first Bottom Line Show broadcast of 2023. And when we consider that we started this program in 2011, man, have we seen some stuff. (laughs) We really have. And I'm so grateful for you. We've tuned in each and every weekday over the years. Many listeners who are new to the program, many have been with us since day one. Um, When it comes to the actual Bottom Line Show, we have got such a great team that's been with us now. Tamara Pomito, our producer, been with us for eight years. Uh, Joel Dominguez been with us for eight years as well. Um, Teresa Kim in her second year as our marketing person. And um, the list goes on. But uh, Todd Stickler, the operations manager at K-Bright, has been at K-Bright for 30 years. And so Todd has been with us since day one. Todd and I go back to the homeward with Jim Burns days. That's when I first met um, the Todd and the KBRT family. 
back in 2006, I think it was, when we were carrying uh, Jim Burns' radio ministry, 9.30 a.m. every weekday morning on KBRT in Southern California, and eventually that led to uh, getting to know them. And uh, by September 19, 2011, Bottom Line Show was born. So here we are queuing up another year of great broadcasts here on the Bottom Line Show. And one of the things that we have prided ourselves with doing on this program is, and I, I don't know how any other way <laughs> to, to describe this, but I'll just go ahead and say it and then let me explain, okay? Our mission here is to tell the truth through the lens of Scripture. Tell the truth about the culture through the lens of Scripture. Now, you know, it's funny. When you go to myhopenow.com, for example, and you check out one of the interviews that we've done recently, uh, like the interview with George Barna that aired uh, last hour. At the opening, there's a nice little cool little guitar. There's a uh, kind of a cityscape, L.A. skyline type of thing, which is kind of fun because we're actually in Orange County, right by John Wayne Airport. But then it says, no spin, just facts. And I'd like to take it a little further than just that by saying we're not trying to win any arguments. We're not trying to be super clever. You know, we're not trying to be that group that wins the Internet, as they, as the kids like to say. We really are just trying to take a look at life through the lens of Scripture. And I hear from people who say thank you for, you know, being authentic, being, you know, being open and transparent. Thank you for, you know, speaking the truth in love. And then other people who will say, wait a minute, you call yourself a Christian, and well, what about this? And bang, 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 you know. And, uh, you know, and, and, and chapter and verse. The thing I always say about any feedback we get, whether it's positive or constructive criticism, is I'm so grateful that the Bottom Line Show listening family is articulate and thoughtful. Uh, I don't get a lot of letters that are all written in all caps with no punctuation, you know, that type of thing. They really are bullet pointed out. And I appreciate that. I really honestly do. Because the whole point of this discussion is to have a conversation, to help the culture see that it is possible to have a conversation about things you don't agree with, things you don't believe, you know, the other side believes, and yet we can be civil about it. But one thing I've noticed, and again, I, if you haven't noticed this yet, I certainly don't find fault. Um, I understand that I read a lot of media every day. I spend several hours every day either on my phone or my computer just reading stories. It's not uncommon in the Marsh household for the alarm to go off and I grab my phone to turn off my alarm and I start flipping through headlines. It's just it's just the way it works. And I'm really that's one of my new year's resolutions is to not spend so much time doing it, but it has become part of my daily rhythm and routine. And one thing I have noticed over the year, well, over the 12 years we've been doing the show, is how the media will spin a story one way or the other to get you and me to feel a kind of way about what's actually in the story. The headline is worded in a certain way. The photos that are used in the online article, a certain way. Uh, you'll, you'll see I, uh, during the pandemic, I, I noted how there was a huge increase in terms like surge and spike and uh, you know, uh, crushing onslaught, deadly, you know, things like that, that that get your attention. You don't even think about it. You don't even realize it. And if you have the audacity to try to reach out to the other side and try to read some of the different, uh, you know, literature, if you will, that comes from that crowd, you get inundated with it because your computer says, aha, here's somebody from the other side 
who is now coming over here, let's just bombard them with all sorts of stuff and see if we can convert them. One of the things, say what you will about Elon Musk. With, with Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, basically calling the board of directors bluff because he was tired of seeing people getting censored. He being one of them. $44 billion for this platform. Here's my observation, and this is just me. My observation is, since he purchased Twitter, I've not seen a decline in the amount of leftist propaganda that we typically see there. I've just seen a more even distribution of conservative thought. I got an, I, I didn't tweet a lot, and if you are on Twitter and you see me, I don't post a lot. I usually react to other people's uh, tweets you know, with a comment or something like that, but I'm not trying to win the Internet either where a lot of people on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook and the like are trying to do that, trying to put up that one post that gets everybody talking and clicking about it, and retweeting it or reposting it. But I get a daily email from the folks at Twitter saying, here's you know what's going on. And, uh, and it used to be nothing but conservative sites. Stephen Miller, Jenna Ellis, I mean, Rudy Giuliani, Dinesh D'Souza, all these, you know, conser- Charlie Kirk, and ever since the takeover, as it were, now it's about a 50-50 split of red site, blue site, conservative site, liberal site, hyper-conservative site, progressive site. And I appreciate that. I mean, it's a little frustrating to have to keep cutting through the clutter of one of those sides, but I don't like the hyper-fundamentalist right either. But it's amazing how many people on the left are losing their minds. So David Hogg, student at Marjorie Stoneman uh, high school in florida a couple years ago remember that valentine's day massacre uh became an outspoken anti-gun activist and kind of a star in his own mind because the left propped him up all of a sudden he's tweeting out saying what is this nonsense now all my feed is just filled with nothing but conservative bs and blah blah blippity blah and i don't where's this coming from well sir you know where it's coming from it's that whole swath of america that didn't agree with you that you never had to deal with before. So of course you could sit back there where it's, I used this on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, it's Pleasantville. Remember the movie, Tobey Maguire, uh, Reese Witherspoon, the guy gets stuck in the old fashioned movie, he and his sister do. And so they're stuck in the perfect ideal sitcom of the 50s instead of the reality of the 90s. And the basketball team never had loses a game because every shot they shoot goes in. <laughs> So they don't know what it's like to miss a shot or lose a game. That's what social media has been like for the left. And it can be that way for those of us on the right, too. But here's part of the reason why we have this problem. Here's a note from the Associated Press. Guidelines for journalists in covering Roe versus Wade America since Roe has been overturned. The news agency's abortion topical guide is advising journalists to avoid using terms like fetal heartbeat bill heartbeat bill, and six-week abortion ban. They also want to stop using terms like late-term abortions as well. The reason the Associated Press claims that words like these are, quote, overly broad and misleading, giving the disagreement over details, such as what constitutes a heartbeat at varying gestational ages. While ultrasound technology can't detect what they call flickering, as early as six weeks of gestation, the Associated Press argues that the embryo has only started to form a quote-unquote rudimentary heart. 
The AP says media outlets should refer to this as cardiac activity, according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and their language guide. They claim that the language in abortion-related policies often relies on anti-choice rhetoric. He who defines the word defines the world. A quote from the late Francis Schaeffer. And man, is it powerful. I'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. This is the world that we're living in, and my commitment to you as we kick off 2023 is we will continue to preach the whole word to the whole world, as our friends at Through the Bible do, but also do so in a way that honors the Lord and tells the truth about the words and the way they are properly used. Hey, let's take a quick break, and as we continue, uh, Dylan Jarvis is a new uh, voice on the Christian music scene, and he has a fascinating story to tell about overcoming addiction and being the songbird that God has called him to be. We're going to talk about that with Dylan Jarvis coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970, or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments. But yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1423. This is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a slightly different turn for the program with regard to a crisis that's happening in America and a country musician who's actually doing something uh, to step into that fray. Dylan Jarvis is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and he knows all too well the dangers of what's happening on the streets right now and the fact that he has just put out a new album and you know his musical career is really going very very well but the idea that he uh knows what it's like to see people who are trying to beat what's happening on the street uh it makes his uh, testimony i think even more compelling dylan jarvis welcome to the bottom line show today hi how are you well talk about well, we're doing great and we're glad that you're here too Let's talk about your story because I mean it would be we'd be remiss to say okay Dylan is a new artist he's got new music coming out and we're super excited about that but when you see what's happening in the culture right now there is a crisis with regard to fentanyl and you know exactly what that's like because that's kind of your story as well kind of help us understand how you got to where you are um, you know basically from where you were well so. Um... At 18 years old, I had a tonsillectomy. The doctor prescribed me a load of pain medication. And I started taking them and being an 18-year-old you know, guy, I'm like, holy cow, these things really make me feel like Superman. Mm-hmm. And they did. Um, so I got hooked on oxys and uh, Oxycontin. And um, that led into a really bad heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember being living in the streets of Memphis, literally uh, just walking down the streets with a guitar in my hand. I, Walked down Poplar Avenue with a guitar in my hand and fell asleep in a ditch out there fighting addiction and woke up with just trigger bites all over me and just really struggling in life. And I, I really gave myself to God is what I did. And um, 
he started working in my life tremendously. Mm -hmm. You um, talk about this, you know, kind of almost matter of factly, and yet it was a really rough road. I mean, the, the fact that you went from, I, I want our listeners to, you know, not gloss over this. You, this addiction for you started with the tonsillectomy. I mean, really, this is oftentimes we hear about, you know, the hardcore life of this and you started at an early age and this, that and the other thing. This is a guy who, you know, grew up in a kind of a tough area. But I mean, if it weren't for you getting your tonsils out, the, the story could have been completely different. Talk about how quickly that kind of thing escalates, because I think that our listeners would be uh, would, would appreciate knowing sometimes you see somebody who's got an addiction problem and you say, oh, well, you know, uh, that uh, I don't know how they fell into that, but uh, they must have had, you know, some kind of inclination to want to do it. What was it like for you? You went from Oxycontin to heroin seemingly relatively quickly. I had a good family. Grew up with great parents. Um, my mom battled alcoholism, uh, but nothing to the point of what I went down. Um, my dad taught me right about drugs, um, you know, say no to drugs, all that whole thing. Um, and I did, uh, you know, for the most time until I got prescribed uh, pain pills from the doctor. And, right. and like I said, um, it just completely changed who I was as a person. Um, and I'm still healing from that. Still mm -hmm. to this day, I'm still mm -hmm. healing. Um, I go, I run, I run between five and eight miles every, every about four days a week. Um, so I go running and I do this cold water therapy where I shock my nervous system with a, a Navy SEAL of 16 years named Tommy Aceto. And uh, Tommy's been taking me through this, this journey of healing myself, my mind, my body, and spiritually. I went to a Bible college, uh, Bible school a year, two years ago now, um, where I was, I was supposed to do 30 years in prison. Um, hmm. Yeah. And that's wow. where the music came from. Mm -hmm. That's where the music came from. So um, I had a, I had a guy that was going to take my life, a drug dealer in Memphis, and I defended myself from him. And when I did, they locked me up. I fought for two years. I fought a trial, 30 years in prison, um, what they were trying to give me. And I gave my life to something bigger than myself in that jail cell. I felt like biblically Jonah in the belly of the whale. Yeah, yeah. And um, that is where I saw stuff start happening. That was kind of the curve to success. And it's, you know, the doors of opportunity have flung open, you know. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Dylan Jarvis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Got a couple of new songs out, new album in the works, and uh, and and really just a, a powerful testimony. And I know you can't really, what's the old uh, thing? You can't have a testimony without a test. You know, there's no message without a mess. So obviously though, that is going to uh, permeate your music. What would, how, did, how does a 30-year jail sentence wind up getting commuted down to six months, Dylan? I mean, I'm, that, that sounds like God. I mean, only God could do something like that. That's all, that's, that's all that it was. It was, it was all God. Um, it was all God. It was, had nothing to do with man. Um, I had, you know, good attorneys, but, uh, so the guy that I ended up defending myself from that was prosecuting me, trying to put me away for the amount of time that they were trying to, he got caught trafficking drugs from mm. Memphis to it or from Atlanta to Memphis. And so the district attorney of Hardeman County looked at my case and he said, I'm going to give this young man a chance and let's see wow. if he'll run with it. Wow. And God started working in my heart and he started stirring. And I was like, all right, it's time to get serious. Uh, no more play, no more, no more violence, no more, um, you know, 
doing bad, but it's time to do the right thing. And I've been walking this this line ever since September seventh. Was three years no heroin or fentanyl. Wow! Congratulations, congratulations. That that's not easy to do, and I, you can tell that there's a, a a lot of hands that are helping you and holding you accountable, but also uh, the hand of God delivered you, and and that has led to your music career. Now you said you kind of grew up musically. Uh, at one point, you were kind of walking the streets and still playing music, even behind bars. I understand they had a nickname for you when you were, uh, you know, doing your time and fighting your case. Uh, talk about how that has kind of led into the country guy that you are right now, as far as musical world goes. Yeah, so um, I was incarcerated, uh, and uh, my celly, his name was Levi, and uh, Levi was like, Dylan, I've never seen somebody write so much music. Hmm. And I was like, I want to have my whole if I get out of here, you know, I still had, there was a little bit of faith I was holding on to. And I was like, if and when, and I believe that I'm going to, because I believe there's power in my words, um, that I want to have my whole cell filled up with songs. Mm. And I did. And I, um, over, um, you know, from the time I was locked up until the time I got home from, uh, seminary school, I had like over almost a hundred songs written. Mm. Wow. So I poured all my energy that was my rage, my my uh, cravings, my everything. I put it on paper. So these are the fr fruits. Mm, I love that. How, how Now, obviously, you can write a lot of songs. You can perform and the people around you think that they're very well and good. But, you know, King David wrote Psalms and Paul wrote most of his epistles from prison. So there are a lot of things that were there, but if they had only stayed there, no one would know they were there. Obviously someone had to get a platform. Talk about how God led you into the, with the production team that you've got. And now with the music videos that you've got, I mean, things are, are starting to happen. It must be very exciting for you to see how God took those desires that you were using to literally fill up your jail cell with music, you know, questioning him, glorifying him. Uh, how did the, the, the pieces of the puzzle start to come together? Well, so I went to Alabama for a year, got home, and I got invited to go play at like a get-together, family get-together for some people, and I ended up playing in the backyard, and there was a guy there named Gary Becker, hmm. and Gary had a tear rolling down his face after I got done playing. I think I played a song called Gypsy. The song's not recorded yet, but I got a feeling we're going we're gonna to record it one day, yeah. and um, so he, he stood up and tear rolled down his face. He said, I can make something happen with this. And I didn't mm. understand really what he was meaning by that. And a couple of weeks later, he goes, hey, would you like to come to Nashville? And I'm going to take you to um, a guy named Dan Tracy and um, another guy's office named Kyle Jones. And they said, come on in. So I, I played him some music. And um, when I finished, uh, Dan Tracy looked at Gary and he said, yeah. He said, let's go with this. So we've been cutting records now for about 16 months. And um mm. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I'm really getting to see my pain show up in a painting right before my eyes. And it's the most mm. beautiful thing ever. Yeah, I'll bet. Dylan Jarvis is with me today here on The Bottom Line. We have a couple of his music videos that we'll post at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, talk about White Horse. Talk about Burn Free. I mean, these are the two videos that we have to promote of yours. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background as to you know what went into the writing we know about the where that happened but tell us a little bit about the what and the why oh uh, white horse i'll start with burn free so burn sure. free um i wrote it in my jail cell and i remember sitting in my jail cell and i laid down on my face and i said i'm giving my life to you god and that's kind of what pushed me to write burn free i remember 
sitting uh, on, like by my door in my cell and they're eight foot by six foot cells. And I'm looking through a window on the backside of my cell and it was like this big and it was foggy. That's where I got the lyric, the foggy window in the morning mm. makes it hard for me to see exactly what's in front of me while time rolls by. And when I talked about the whispers from the one throned on high while tracking visions in the dead of night, I was having these visions while I was incarcerated of what I have going on right now happening. And um, it was cool. God showed it to me a couple of years before it ever happened, but I was able to cop to write down my thoughts on paper. And uh, it says at the very end of the page, it says his powers with me now, Sunday, May the 19th, cell 208, Dylan Jarvis. Wow. And I wrote a prophecy in there and it's came to pass. Mm, that's amazing. And, and you describe, I, I don't want to let this uh, statistic go by because I'm 6'3". You were in a cell eight by six with another guy. I mean, you guys, you had a roommate? Cellmate? Yes, sir. I had a celly. Dang, <laughs> that's 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 hardcore. I mean, I hear about people who've done you know time just on the, their own, but what is it like to be with another person who's in there? And you know, in your case, you you felt that you were wrongfully incarcerated. It turned out you were. Uh, what's it like to have that kind of uh, tension going on? I mean, I, I can imagine you get really real with God pretty quickly, don't you? You do. Yeah. You do. You have to deal with different personalities, and that's the hardest part. So, but. Iron sharpens iron. I had to go into that into that uh, arena and uh, get sharpened up, and that's what God did. But so it, it's hard living in there. I mean, you have to deal with another person, and <laughs> I'm going to tell you something funny. So he was hanging his feet down. Um, I was sitting on my rack, and I believe in the name of Jesus. I was sitting on my rack, and dude sitting down up above me, and he was swinging his feet. And I remember like, oh, God, it's disgusting. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this, God. I said, I rebuke these feet in the name of Jesus out of my life. <laughs> the, dude, the dude got down, put his socks on. He didn't even hear me say it. But oh, see, wow. God, it doesn't matter. The littlest things God was showing me. Oh, I love <laughs> I wanted that. the stinky feet out of my face. <laughs> I love that. Of the 8 billion people on planet Earth, in that moment, God's in yourself. And hearing your rebuke of stinky feet, I, Dylan, that <laughs> that is powerful, brother. That is really powerful. Uh, Dylan Jarvis is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. We're talking about a very serious subject, of course, the fact that he has battled a drug addiction and won. He sees what's happening in the uh, uh, in the world right now, and we do have this opioid crisis. Uh, you, I know it's impacted my my family's life. I'm sure it's impacted yours as well. Dylan, what do you hope your music will do? to help reach out maybe even to some of the people that you've known who are battling this right now. So me going through uh, the addiction, me going through the process of getting clean, this, what I put out on paper. So there's two types of word. There's rhema word, which is spoken word. And there's logos word, which is written word. And if y'all want to feel what I walk through while I walk through that, listen to the music because it's called an atmospheric shift and it occurs when different things are spoken out. So my, when I was putting down on Burn Free, those same emotions that came out of me in that cell, I believe that you will feel through the song if you put it in your ears and listen. I love it. I love it. Well, we've got, as I mentioned, we've got those two videos up at thebottomlightshow.com. And of course, we're, we're anticipating, is there a tour in the works? I mean, you mentioned you've been recording for 16 months. What, what will be the fruits ultimately? We're eventually going to start touring, yes. Um, Great. We'll put that up. And whenever you're in Colorado or California, be sure to let us know. And we'll uh, send our bottom line listeners your way as well. Because I'm sure they'll love to hear your testimony. Okay. Absolutely. Dylan Jarvis, uh, thank you so much for your testimony today and the work that God continues to do through you. Uh, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line.
Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, what a delightful conversation. Nice guy, too. DylanJarvisOfficial.com is the website where you'll find the music of Dylan Jarvis, the songbird himself. We've got that link up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Some final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are when you call 833-850-BABY right now you give a gift of 28 dollars that provides one ultrasound but if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine now that's a fifteen thousand dollar investment but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years that's 2500 ultrasounds available to women right now think of all the babies thousands of babies lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to the songbird himself, Dylan Jarvis, for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about his struggle with uh, addiction and the crisis that is facing America right now. But trust me, it's only a crisis to people who will look at it seriously and objectively. The media make it a crisis whenever it's convenient for them and when it's going to get them clicks and shares and sell copies of their newspapers. But the reality is, I believe big pharma and larger corporations do want to see people hooked because, quite frankly, it gives them a steady stream of customers. At the end of the day, there's only one thing that's ever going to satisfy your soul, that's ever going to give you peace of mind and peace of heart, and that is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you surrender your life to him, because the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of faith, which will receive that gift of salvation, then you can have everlasting life. That's my prayer for you if you've not received that gift yet. And if you have... Make 2023 the year that you share somebody with somebody the good news that's in your life. That is the good news of the gospel, and that's the bottom line.